you came this morning expecting Brother Hardy, sorry. Um, you know, it's like going to somebody's house for dinner and expecting mashed potatoes and roast beef and gravy and getting sloppy joe and tater tots. But, you know, sloppy joe and tater tots can be good if you're hungry. So I hope you're hungry this morning. If you have your Bibles, go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Pray for that group in the Bahamas. Uh, you know, it's hard to think Bahamas mission field, but, uh, you know, the world is a mission field. So um, here they are working with one of our missionaries. And uh, he'll be working all week long. And those young people that are with him, with Brother Hardy, if they don't know how to work, they'll know work, how to work when they come back because he teaches them how to work. Mark chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse number 35. In the same day when the evening was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when he had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships, and there arose a great storm of wind. And the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep in a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? In the three and a half some years that Jesus walked with his disciples, he was always teaching them. They had a lot to learn. They were going to be taking over this institution called the local church that they knew nothing about. And they were going to be dealing with this doctrine called salvation that they were familiar with but really didn't know a whole lot about. And he was always teaching them. He was teaching them on a host of subjects. He was teaching them in different situations. He was teaching them, preparing them for the day when he would no longer be with them. And we find here in this portion of Scripture, again, teaching some valuable lessons. The first thing we see here is the security in verse number 35. It says, in the same day when the evening was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. Now, this is a lesson that we all need to have, folks. That's the lesson of eternal security. Let me help you out this morning. If you're saved this morning, you're safe this morning. You can't lose it. You can't give it back. Nobody can take it from you. Nothing can take it from you. Because if you've got Jesus in your ship, you're going to make it to the other side. It's that simple. It's that simple. Jesus gave us eternal life not temporary life, okay? And uh, those that, that believe you can lose it miss the point. And the point is, it's not yours to lose. Salvation is holy of God. We do nothing. We do nothing but cry out uh, in, in a, a situation of, of total hopelessness and ask for his forgiveness. They miss the point. Once you are born again, thank God you are a child of the king. Now, I've, I've mentioned this before in my class in the earlier hour. We are not part of God's family. The Jews are God's family. If you're here this morning, you're saved this morning, rejoice this morning, you are a child of the king. There's a difference between being a child of the king and a member of the family. The members of the family don't have access to the king. A child of the king does. 
So if you're here this morning and you're saved this morning, you're a child of the king and you're safe this morning, be secure in your faith this morning. If Jesus is with you, you will make it to the other side. This is the problem that when I, I, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I, I was born and reared in a Catholic home. I didn't get saved until I was 21 years of age. But this is the problem that I dealt with in my own life as the old devil jumped up on my shoulder and said, look what you did. Look what you said. Look how you acted. Surely you're not saved. And I dealt, I had to deal with this problem. This is a problem that I deal with. You might be dealing with that same problem this morning about questioning, am I really, am I really? 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that ye have eternal life. That you might know God wants us to know that we have eternal life. That Greek word there, know, is the Greek word ganasko, which is experiential knowledge. Now, you ladies here, who have had children, bless your hearts, you have experienced childbirth. Thank God I have not. Now, I can watch videos on it. I can read magazines about it. I can talk to some of you ladies about it. I might have a head knowledge of it, but I have not experienced it. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that ye might know, that you might experientially know that you're saved. Years ago, probably three or four hundred now, when I was younger, I worked in a commercial kitchen. And I was walking by uh, down when somebody had spilled something on the floor and I realized, and I slipped on it. And when I did, I went to balance myself and I put my hand on a 400 degree deep pad fryer. That's, that's kind of like what I said. Might have been a little bit louder. Anyway, they, they bandaged it up. Naturally, it was bleeding. The, the thing was hanging down, and it was, it was a pretty nasty burn. They wrapped it up, and, and they, they put me in a car, and, and one of the guys that we worked with in the kitchen took me to the hospital, dropped me off. So I walked in the emergency room. The girl says, can I help you? I unwrapped my hand. Right into the... Treatment room, you know. So this doctor comes in. Says, all right, what do we have here? He started looking at him. She says, give him uh, so many milligrams of something. I don't know. Come in, give me a shot. She come back about 15, 20 minutes later. Said, how you doing? I said, uh, wow, do something about this, will you? Give him so many milligrams of whatever. Yeah, he gave me a shot of something. Didn't help. She got back about 15 minutes later. She says, how you doing? I said, look it. Knock me out. Cut it off. Do something. She said, give him so many milligrams of morphine. Boom. You know, I always wondered why in the war movies, the guy gets shot, gets his leg blown off. He's laying there on the ground saying, morphine, give me morphine. Now I know. They could have did a tap dance on my hand. wouldn't have hurt me. So they come in, they cut away all the dead skin, they had to cut off my wedding ring, my fingers were all swollen, and they put all the salve and all, wrap it all up and get it all up. Now they take me out of the treatment room, and they put me in this little cubicle with this little 16-year-old candy stripe. We used to call them candy stripes, because they used to wear pink and white stripe 
the volunteers, you know. And she's sitting down in front, this is how far back this goes. She's sitting down in front of her little Selectric typewriter. Huh? Y'all remember those things? Huh? You know. And she says, may I have your name? Uh, I'm sure I have one. Honey, I really, uh, I, 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 I don't, I just really can't remember. She gets, she stands up, she's calling her friends over. She said, come here, come here, man, this guy buzzed. Come, come look at this guy. Man, I was gone. I was out of it. I was there. Now, I can experientially know what morphine is like. I wouldn't want to do it on a regular basis, but in certain situations, it's great stuff. I experientially know that. God wants us to know. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, 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 that you may know that you have eternal life. He doesn't want you to guess. He doesn't want you to hope. He doesn't want you to wish. He wants you to know experientially, he wants you to know. Not only do we see the safety, we see the ships there. In, uh, uh, let's see, where are we? What page are we on? Oh, here we are. Okay. Um, in verse 36, it says, And when he had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. They were with him other little ships. I was in the Navy for four years. I was a cook on an aircraft carrier. 4,800 men, four meals a day. 164 cooks on board. We used to go through 2,000 pounds of meat a meal. Now, on an aircraft carrier, we always had our, our, our picket ship. We had one picket ship. It was the, in our case, it was the USS Albany, which was a guided missile cruiser. He used to sit right behind us. Everywhere we went, he followed us, everywhere we went. The only time he wasn't there was when we were in flight ops, when we were landing and receiving aircraft, and he would move off to the side. But when you go through 2,000 pounds of meat a meal, you can only keep so much stuff on board. Okay? Now, I was in charge of the storeroom. I had 27 freezers, 15 refrigerators, unbelievable amount of storeroom. And when we used to get groceries, we used to bring groceries on. You know, we used to bring on what they called, and it, back then it was, I don't know what it is now, but it, back then it was, it was called six-way beef. It was a, a, a certain cut of beef that was, some of it was ground beef, some of it was hamburger, some of it was stew beef, some of it was steak, some of it was roast. You know, it was called six-way beef. We used to bring on 100,000 pounds of beef, 90,000 pounds of pork and poultry, 60,000 dozen eggs, um, you know, stuff like that. Two weeks, gone. Gone. You're feeding... 4,800 very young men working very, very hard at sea. If you've ever gone out in the ocean, done any fishing, you know what salt water does to your appetite. They didn't want a hamburger. They wanted six of them. And so we used to give them to them. And so we'd have what they called an unwrap or an underway replenishment. They would bring cargo ship out to us. And when the, ship, when the cargo ship would come out to us, all of a sudden, ships that were called our picket ships that we never, ever, ever saw because they were out, miles out, beyond the horizon, they would all come in because they all wanted to get their groceries. 
And it was amazing because we had that Gata missile cruiser behind us. We had four destroyers like this. We had six destroyer escorts beyond that and two submarines beyond that. Wherever that armada went, wherever that fleet went, they all went together around the center of that aircraft carrier. And they used to come to us for their groceries. And we never realized how many other ships were with us. You know, the Lord has given us ships to make our journey across a little bit more pleasant. He's given us worship. We need to worship him. You know, the world today worships rock stars. They worship sport uh, stars. They worship Hollywood stars. They worship the stars. We need to worship God. We need to bow down in humble obeisance before him and worship him. He gives us worship. He gives us stewardship. Stewardship of our time. Stewardship of our treasure. Stewardship of our talents. I appreciate what, what Pastor Hardy is, is promoting as far as, as the outreach of the church. Promoting, of, uh, let's get involved. Let's do this. Let's do that. I mean, we need to. We need to. I appreciate that. Fellowship. We need to fellowship. We need to fellowship. We're having some uh, uh, social activities coming. You ought to come. What, in the, what, what can possibly be wrong with chocolate? Huh? I mean, calories? Going to get them somewhere. Might as well get them from chocolate. I ain't never met a chocolate bar I didn't like. I ain't never met anything chocolate I didn't like. But fellowship, fellowship with each other. Fellowship with the Lord through his word. That's important. That's important. Little ships that make the passageway better. Follow ships. It's not good enough just to read the word. You've got to do what the word says. Obedience to the word of God. Follow ships. So we see the ships there that make the passageway better. Not only that, we see the storm in verse 37. It says, and there arose a great storm of wind. This was a great storm of wind. Folks, listen. You don't have to be the most bright person in the world. You don't even have to watch the local news or read the local newspaper to realize that our world is in the midst of a storm this morning. Our country is in the midst of a storm this morning. Our homes are in the midst of storms this morning. The storms of life, great storms that are beating against our ship. We have financial storms. How many times do I get to the end of the month and I run out of money before I run out of bills? Huh? I know some of you are independently wealthy. God bless you. I'm 67 years old. I still work a full-time job. And my full-time job, I'm a manager of a ready-mixed concrete plant, so my average week is 65 hours. I've worked as much as 92 hours in one week. Did I like it? Absolutely not. I couldn't even feel my toes, let alone know what I was doing. Financial storms. We're in the midst of political storms. One side doesn't like the other side. This side doesn't like that side. It doesn't make which side difference, what side you're on, and none of them getting along. But not only in our own country. It's, it's, it's international political storms. We're in the midst of, of religious storms. Religious storms. 
You know, in the early 60s, they kicked God out of the public schools. I went to public school. When I was in the second grade, I can remember my second grade teacher, Mrs. Edwards. I still remember her name. I can't remember half the time what I had for breakfast. And yet she can, she, I still remember her name. Mrs. Edwards used to get up in that public school in the second grade every morning and read the Bible. We kicked them out of the public school. Then we wonder why our schools are a mess. You kick God out, you kick the, Christian, the Christians out, you kick the salt out, there's no more salt in the PTAs, no more salt on the school boards, no more salt in the, church, in the schools, and we wonder why they're a mess. We kicked them out of the public schools. Now society's trying to kick, Donna's trying to kick them out of society. Christmas gets worse and worse and worse every year. Oh, you can't put that there. Oh, you can't put that there. Oh, you can't put that there. Really? Oh, you can't have a cross there. You know, you, you, a lot of you ladies, you wear, you know, little, little crosses, you know, in your ears, you know, little crosses. Do you ever think of, of putting a little gas chamber there? What was the cross? Means of execution. That's all it was. A little electric chair. Well, what's that? A little electric chair. You know, I put a little electric chair out front with a sign that says Merry Christmas. You know. I mean, we, I, I, I realize what, what the whole thing with the cross is, is, is all about and all of that. I, I understand. But I'm just saying that, that, that each, each year it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Listen, folks, Christianity is a part of our heritage. It's a part of our history. It's like what they're doing in, 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 in taking out all of the, the, the anybody that had anything to do with the Confederacy. That's part of our history. Those, those, listen, those men didn't own slaves because they were individuals. They owned slaves because that was, that was part of their economy in those days. Was it right? Absolutely not. But you can't eliminate that from our history. There's storms in our homes today. Our homes today are falling apart. Satan is attacking our homes. He knows. He knows that our country and our churches are only as strong as the homes that are represented in them. And if he can destroy the home, he's destroyed the church. And boy, he is attacking the home. Two million children between the ages of 11 and 16 run away from home every year in America. Two million. My wife and I used to work with runaways off the streets of New York City. I know a little bit about it. And I know what happens to those young men and young women when they hit the, 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 uh, the streets of New York City and have no idea in the world what's waiting for them there. And what they're swept up into and what kind of life they're swept up into. You realize some of those kids are sold on the auction blocks of the world into sexual slavery and shipped out of the country within 30 days, never to be heard from again. Two million children run away from home every year in America. Between the ages of 11 and 16, we had a girl's home in Danbury, Connecticut. We had a number of girls in our home. One of the girls we had was Kathy Ayala. I think she was 18 when she came to us. One of the things that we used to do was my wife would take him into a room 
and make them take their clothes off because we had to mark down every you know, scar or cut or scratch that they had on them to protect ourselves from them saying, gee, these people did that to me. This little girl had so many scars and burn marks on her, we couldn't even write them down. Her dad used to beat her with a coat hanger, put cigarettes out in her ears. He'd dump her off on a street corner. She'd been in and out of foster homes almost her whole life, and she was a mess. She was with us two weeks. We had a rule in our home. You either obey or you can leave. The door swings both ways. You come because you want to. You leave because you want to. But while you're here, you're going to play by our rules. You're going to obey our rules. She come to us after two weeks. She said, I think I want to go back to the city. I said, Kathy, why? Why do you want to go? She said, just take me back. Drop me off in the street corner. I'll be okay. I said, Kathy, why would you want to go back to the city? She says, you know, she says, I've been beaten up all my life. She says, but you people? She says, you people, you love me. She says, I can't handle that. Take me back. And we dropped off on the street corner the next day. That was the last we ever heard of Kathy. We had another girl in our home. Her name was Tina. Tina was a trip. She was 14 years old. And uh, we ran afoul of the state of Connecticut, uh, DCYS, that's the Department of Children and Youth Service. I won't go into all the detail of that because I don't have the time. But uh, they wanted to interview Tina. I brought in two state workers. We met them uh, with Tina in our pastor, in our pastor's office at the church. They wanted to talk to her. And uh, she talked to them a little bit. She was 14 years old. And, and the bottom line was, she says, you know, the, the, the state worker said, you know, Tina, she said, uh, these, the Deshanes, the, the, the they, they, they like you. She said, they, 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 they possibly love you. She said, we're not, we're not denying that. But, you know, they're not going to allow you to experience life as you need to experience life. They're not going to allow you because we wouldn't allow them to hang out on the street corners and we wouldn't allow them to do drugs and we wouldn't allow them to worship whoever or whatever they felt like. Or we made them obey the rules. When it was their turn to do the dishes, they did the dishes. When it was their turn to help cook, they helped cook. I mean, we had rules. They had to play. And, and you know, you're just not going to experience life. Tina told me before she went and talked to the, 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 um, the people from the state, she said, Brother Shane, she said, what do you want me to make them believe? I said, Tina, what are you talking about? She said, Brother Shane, she says, I've done this all my life. She says, I know what to tell them to make them believe what you want me to make them believe. She says, I can make them believe I'm very happy and content. I can make them believe that I'm very blue and depressed. I can make them believe that I'm suicidal. I can make them believe. You, are you telling me what you want? I said, Tina, just tell them the truth, girl. Don't, you know, don't worry about it. And the state worker said, you know, you're not going to get a chance to experience life. She says, you know, ma'am, she's I'm 14 years old. I've already had two abortions. I've been having sex since I was 11. I was picked up living with a 26-year-old man in Atlanta, Georgia. Don't you think I've experienced all the real life I need to at 14 years old? Boy, and that state worker didn't have an answer for that. Our homes are under attack, folks. Our homes are under attack. Every day in America, 5,240 kids between the ages of 7 and 12 attempt suicide. Every day in America. Almost 2 million attempts each year. More teenagers die from suicide each year in America than die from cancer, heart disease, AIDS, birth defects, uh, a stroke, pneumonia, influenza, and chronic lung disease combined. Combined. 
second leading cause of death in America between the ages of 15 and 24 is suicide. Don't tell me we're not in a storm. Don't tell me that Satan is out to destroy our homes, our families, our children. Notice not only the storm, but the situation in the second part of that verse. And the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. What's wrong with this picture? This ship is now in danger of sinking. This ship possibly is in danger of losing life. Some of these guys were fishermen. They were used to being out on the sea. And yet there's this sense of panic there. This possible loss of life. What was the real problem here? The problem was that the ship was now full. They waited too long. Then they go in the back where the master's sleeping and say, Master, don't you care? Let me help you out, folks. I stand before you this morning on the authority of the Word of God, and I tell you no matter what your problem is, what your storm is, Jesus cares. Jesus cares. They waited until the ship was full. Boy, don't we do the same thing. We wait till our little teenage daughter is pregnant before we start to pray for her. We wait till our teenage son is strung out on drugs before we start to pray for him. We wait until one of our grandchildren try to kill themselves before we pray for them. Oh, listen, you better start praying now, folks. Because the storm's not going to get any softer. The storm's not going to get any easier. The sky's not going to get any lighter. Satan knows exactly what he's doing. Then we see the serenity in verse number 38. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. I love this. Here's this storm, the wind, the thunder, the lightning, the blowing. Have you ever been at sea in a storm? Have you? Yeah, we were in a, caught in a North Atlantic storm in the Navy. Now remember, I was on an aircraft carrier. Our flight deck was 75 feet above the water. We had 10-foot waves breaking on our flight deck. Our picket ship used to come straight up the wave and go straight down the wave. All you saw was a little bit of radar sticking out between the swales as you came back up again. That's how bad it was. It can get scary. It gets dark. It gets windy. You're bouncing around out there. It gets scary. And in the midst of the storm, in the midst of this seamless, hopeless situation, in the midst of disaster, Jesus sleeps in the back part of the ship, on a pillow. Why was he asleep? Why is he asleep? Verse 35, let us pass over unto the other side. Don't worry, boys. We're going to make it to the other side. Don't worry about the storm. Don't let it bother you. We're going to make it to the other side. This is Jesus. God in the flesh. Do you think the storm surprised him? Do you think God sits on his throne this morning and goes, ah, I didn't know that. Did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurs to God? What, do, you, do you really think your prayers are informing God? Oh, Lord, I want. 
Oh, Lord, I need. Oh, Lord, bless me here. Do you really think he sits there and says to Michael, why didn't you tell me that? I didn't know that. This is God in the flesh. Do you think he was aware of the storm? Do you think he didn't know that storm was going to be there? Think he wasn't know what he was going to do? Listen, he always knows what he's going to do. We don't always understand it. You know, it's like putting uh, a puzzle together. We had uh, uh, an opportunity a few weeks ago to go to the uh, Smoky Mountains up in Tennessee. We spent a week with our family and 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 Larry and Joyce up there in the cabin and stuff. And and so we go, you know, you go down. It's all tourist area. Man, store, 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 store. And we walked in the store. It's all puzzles. And it had these. These massive puzzles, 10,000-piece puzzles, <coughs> huge, huge, up on the walls, massive puzzles. And you know, it's, when we don't understand what God's going to do, it's like putting together a 5,000-piece puzzle. And we get all these pieces scattered out all over our table. Now, I, I, when I do a puzzle like that, I have a pen knife. And if they don't fit, they'll fit. The picture doesn't seem to come out right, though. I don't know why. But, you know, it's like having all these pieces spread out all over the table, and you pick up one piece, and you look at it, and you say, gee, I don't get the picture. And the Lord looks at it all put together and says, don't worry, I do. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew exactly what the problem was. We don't need to know. We just need to follow him. Notice the sentence spoken in verse number 39. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Peace, be still. Oh, listen, in the midst of your storm this morning, he speaks to your heart, and he says, Peace, be still. In John chapter 14, verse 27, the Bible says, Peace I leave with you. My peace give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace. Be still. In John chapter 14, verse number 1, it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Peace. Be still. Psalm 46.10, the Bible says, Be still and know that I am God. That's a polite way for God to say, get out of my way and let me do what I need to do. Peace, be still, and know that I am God. When we had our girls home, one of the hardest things we had was getting the girls to sit down and be quiet. They ran the streets of New York City. New York City is go, 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 go. It never stops. It never slows down. It never shuts down. It's go, 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 go. You know, the Bible says that Jesus is going to come back in a moment, a twinkling of an eye. In New York City, when a street light turns red and you're stopped at it and a street light turns green, from the time that light turns green to the time the guy behind you beeps his horn is a twinkling of an eye. That's how long it takes. As soon as that light's green, he's on the horn. And boy, you better move. And these kids, these, these kids used to bring it. They, they, you know, you talk about... Society, you talk about social structure and social shock. We brought them to Danbury, Connecticut. They wanted to know where the subways were. They figured we go anywhere in New York City by subway. If you can get on the right train, go anywhere in the country. They just thought subways ran all over the country. They really did. 
And their whole lifestyle was go, 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 go. We had a hard time getting them to be still and know that I am God. Notice what happens in verse 39. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Why? Because the creator of the universe spoke. And his creation listened and obeyed. Man is the only one in God's universe, in God's creation, that says, no, I won't do it. Huh? Can you imagine the first squirrel shaking his little paw? God's face. No, I'm not going to store any nuts. I don't want to do that now. Come on, Margaret, let's go. We're not staying here. I'm not. We're not. No, I'm not going to. Do, yeah, boy, they're gonna have a little bit of a hard time in January. How about the first Robin? If he thinks I'm going to fly all the way down to Florida, where do you think they go? Where do you, where do you think all those birds come from in the wintertime that are all over your yard and all over your car? <laughs> Not so much the bird, but you know what I'm talking about. Huh? Those are true snowbirds, <laughs> you know? You know? Do you see, do you see a little robin shaking his wing in God's face? No, I'm not going south. I can see his wife about to tell me, give him an elbow. I told you we should have went south. You just didn't want to get a map and find a way. You didn't want to ask God directions, I know. Huh? Huh? Yeah. How about the first bear? I'm not going to bed. I'll go find me some more salmon. Me some more to eat. I'm not going to no, listen, when God speaks to his creation, creation listens, except for man. Let the creator of the universe speak to your heart this morning. Peace. Be still. All folks, listen, don't wait till your ship is full. Don't wait until your family is falling apart. Don't wait until you face almost certain ruin. Come to him today. Come for your own sake. Come for the sake of your family, your children. Come for the sake of your grandchildren. Come to him who is the maker of all things, the creator of all things, and come to him for peace this morning. And let him speak to your heart this morning. Peace. Be still. Let's bow forward to prayer. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one's looking around. In a moment, I'm going to pray.